Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the ninth chapter. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent in those days and told no one of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Just then, a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He's my only child. Suddenly a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mulls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation. How much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated, and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. You know what today's Sunday is called? Yes. Do you need help? Yes. Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. I walked right into that, didn't I? I just walked straight into it. In the church, what's it called? Yeah. Lent. Almost Lent. You got it. Transfiguration Sunday, right? Transfiguration. Yeah, whatever that is, right? Transfiguration Sunday. We're going to talk a little about Transfiguration Sunday. So in the story we just heard today, Jesus, uh, Jesus goes up on a mountain, right? And Jesus uh, is there to pray, and he's with his disciples, and they're kind of having a hard time staying awake. Specifically, it was Peter, James, and John. Who was with him? Peter, James, and John. Very good. So Peter, James, and John are with him. They're having a hard time staying awake, and all of a sudden, 
Jesus is in dazzling white clothes and his face is even shining. Now imagine that. Like all of a sudden, Jesus is just kind of like super Jesus, right? I mean, clothes are dazzling white. I mean, my, my robe is white, but this was dazzling white. This was like shining of its own accord white. And his face was even shining. There was something happening. And they see Moses and Elijah. Now, are Moses and Elijah alive at this point? No, they've been dead for like hundreds and hundreds of years. <laughs> and so they see Moses and Elijah, who are long dead, and Jesus is dazzling white. And a voice, well, Peter says, hey, we should build homes here so we can all stay. They're like, no. But then a voice comes from a cloud that comes over them and says, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Now, why do you think, why do you think Jesus turned dazzling white and his face was changed and then God said, listen to him? Why do you think? Yeah. So people might take notice and start listening to him. Very good. What else? Yeah. For this day, like in this particular moment, we should listen to him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah very good. I'll give you an example of something that I do whenever things are happening. So with, with Jesus and his disciples, there was a whole lot happening. He had just fed 5,000 people. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. And Peter had just guessed that he was the Messiah, but he told, he told them to tell nobody. And so all these weird things are happening, right? It's all kind of chaos. So we're going to practice that and see, see what happens if I can bring you to attention. So I want you all to just start talking to one another, and we'll see if I can get you to attention. Okay. Hey, guys. Everybody look at my nose. Everybody look at my nose. That's exactly what's going on in the transfiguration. The transfiguration is God's version of saying, everybody look at my nose. Right? And you guys, you guys hear me say that all the time. Right? But God has more than a really nice nose. God is just magnificent, so much so that he practically glows <laughs> in that moment. So much so that wonderful things, to, like fantastic things happen when we turn and pay attention to God. Now we're coming into Lent, right? And Lent is a season where we practice, where kind of like uh, you practice throwing a baseball over repetition. We practice over repetition, trying to pay attention to God. And this is the moment where we celebrate God saying, look at my nose and then us practicing to look at it. Does that make sense? All right. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for calling us to attention. We give you thanks for being so magnificent and so radiant that it's a wonderful sight to behold. In the next 40 days throughout Lent, we pray that we might practice paying attention to you and that you might continually reveal yourself to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Can you help me out?
the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm not sure if I've ever told you about look at my nose. So look at my nose uh, was a thing that the, the youth leader at my home congregation where I grew up used to say to the kids all the time when they were running around rowdy. Now we had a lot of kids as the years went on. It kept growing and growing and growing. And so I remember at, uh, at uh, a couple different occasions there would be a hundred some kids running in every direction and Cindy just yelling at the top of her lungs, look at my nose, you know, and it caught their attention. Eventually, Cindy figured out that this not only works with younger kids, but it works with youth, which was where I was uh, in the bulk of my time with her, and it works with adults, too. I remember on more than one occasion, uh, look at my nose slipping out during a worship service for her, and I'll tell you what, every head just whips in that direction. As you've noticed, uh, the kids of this congregation uh, have come to know, look at my nose as a calling point. And in good Lutheran form, they have found an official response. And so every time I say, look at my nose, they look at my nose and then they respond with, it's a nice nose. <laughs> All right, regardless of uh, the very tiny moment of look at my nose and how insignificant it might seem, it's very much what happens on this Transfiguration Sunday, isn't it? In the, in, in the time in the Gospel of Luke preceding the, the moment of transfiguration, there's a lot that's been happening. And so Jesus has just uh, gone on a tirade against Herod. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. Peter has proclaimed Jesus the Messiah. Finally, it kind of slipped out of his lips almost accidentally in that moment. But Jesus tells him to tell no one. And so if you're like me, if you can put yourself in the place of the disciples, it's hard to imagine that moment. Or Jesus both acknowledges himself as the Messiah and tells us to tell no one. There's tension there, right? We're not quite sure what's going on. And eight days after that, they find themselves on a mountain to pray. And as they're struggling to keep awake, all of a sudden, Jesus changes Dazzling white, face shining, a cloud comes over, or Peter sticks his foot in his mouth, a cloud eventually comes over them, and they hear a voice. This is my son, my chosen, listen to him. Now in good standing with the gospel, Luke, there are several echoes, and I bet you can find them, right? Imagine this is like the back of a placemat at a restaurant where uh, little kids are supposed to find the little hidden things inside of there. That's what Luke's doing right now. So we're supposed to find the little hidden things inside of this text. All the things that we've seen before somewhere else. So let's go through it. On the back of this place, <laughs> on the Transfiguration Sunday, we have the disciples who are struggling to stay awake as Jesus prays. Where else are we going to see that? Garden the Garden of Gethsemane, Right? We're going to see that later on. We also see someone whose appearance is changed upon experiencing God. We've seen that in Moses, right? His face shone after coming down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. We see Moses and Elijah and Jesus talking with one another. Now, we haven't seen that yet. So that's something to unpack later. And finally, we see a cloud coming over Jesus and a voice claiming Jesus. And we saw that at Jesus' baptism, right? 
We also see God in a pillar of clouds throughout Scripture. We see God in a pillar of cloud leading Israel through the wilderness. We see God in a pillar of cloud in Psalm 29. We see God in the cloud in a variety of different places. But in this moment, we have echoes and foreshadowings. A lot of different things that all kind of come together. Some of them point to the Old Testament. Some of them point to the Jewish tradition throughout. Jesus takes on the shining face of Moses. Jesus takes on that dazzling appearance of Elijah. Jesus takes on, or Jesus is surrounded by what was at his baptism. A voice coming over him and claiming him and the Holy Spirit falling on him. And Jesus is also foreshadowed by what the cross will be like for his disciples. Struggling to, see, struggling to be awake and seeing the glory of God in that moment. Though the glory of God will be drastically different in that moment. For us, in the time of Lent, the reason... I believe, that we read a text like this, a text that says, look at my nose at Lent, is it calls us to focus on what happens to us as disciples between our baptisms and between our deaths. What happens in life between the baptism and the cross. There's two things that the companions that Jesus has call us to. The first one's obvious a little bit, right? The first one's obvious. Moses and Elijah have been dead for centuries. Like, no one expects them at this time to be alive. Well, Elijah might have been alive. He was taken up into heaven, right? And so we don't have official acknowledgement that he died. But Moses didn't enter, dies. Regardless of this timelessness or this being out of time, we have Moses and Elijah and Jesus transfigured, communing with one another. Think of what this means. Moses dwelling with God made flesh in a way that he was denied here on earth. Elijah dwelling with God made flesh in a way that Elijah only proclaimed on earth. We have a glimpse of what happens after our death. What happens after the cross in this moment. So here, we are encouraged. But we also have a glimpse of what happens in our lives. Because, yes, Jesus is meeting with the founders of faith for Israel. Moses and Elijah both coming together in a way that we've only imagined in the back of our heads as archetypes. But let's think about what happens for Moses from life till death. We'll do this for all three. So let's start with Moses. Life till death. Moses is born into a situation where he probably shouldn't have lived. He flows down a river into the hands of the government family. He is raised and then disowned by the government family. He runs into the wilderness only to be brought back by God to release God's people from slavery. He walks faithfully throughout that journey. He gets almost to the promised land. They're denied. He walks throughout the wilderness paying penance. And in the moment of weakness, he strikes the rock when he shouldn't have. 
He is denied entrance into the promised land. He gets all the way through the 40 years. He gets all the way there, can see it from the hill, but can't enter it and dies. Moses' entire life was one of suffering, was one of service, and was one of grief in the midst of not quite seeing the kingdom come. Elijah was born into a time of great international upheaval and great turmoil. He was pursued, like I said last week, relentless, relentlessly by King Ahab on a regular basis. He feared for his life. Eventually he got to the point where despite, despite speaking with King Ahab consistently, he wanted to die. God does reveal God's self to him, but does not spare him this anguish. And eventually he's taking up into heaven just to have his predecessor, or his counterpart, do the whole thing all over again. Just like Moses. There is service and there is suffering and there is death in Elijah's life. And so we look at Jesus. Jesus outperforms them in a variety of ways, and as he should, right? Being God. There's incredible miracles. There's incredible feeding. There's incredible life everywhere Jesus goes. And yet, in Jesus' ministry, there is a people who can't quite seem to grasp what's right in front of them. There's a hard-necked, stiff-necked, hard-hearted people that even despite the transfiguration, the disciples come down off the mountain and still don't have the faith to do what Jesus is calling them to do. And just as glorious as Jesus is in his triumph compared to these two, he is glorious in his death compared to these two because he dies very fully and very suddenly on a cross with everybody gathered around to witness. There is suffering and there is service and there is death in Jesus' life too. So we have these two things, don't we? We have the things that echo in our lives as we have them now. Suffering and service and death. It's not glorious. Then we have our baptismal life. In the most normal of places, doing the most normal of things, with the most extraordinary company. Standing with Moses and Elijah and God incarnate on a hill talking. Between our birth and between our everlasting life after death, we have discipleship. And it's not glorious. I can't sell you on it. Right? It's not much to sell. All I have to offer is a life of service, a life of suffering. But the reason I find it worthwhile is that the vision of life that we have in the transfiguration moment, the vision of life that Christ gives us in healing and in proclaiming the kingdom for us now, is one where there's not a need for hunger to be here anymore. It's where there's one where the lonely are accompanied, where the sick are healed, where the poor are proclaimed freedom from their poverty. And that's done in action. In the midst of these things, 
not just suffering for the sake of suffering, not just service for the sake of service, for the kingdom of God. One that ends in the most normal of things and one that takes place in the most extraordinary of times for the kingdom of God. It makes a life of suffering and service worth it. In this time of Lent, in a time where the church annually celebrates a look-at-my-nose type season, where we take time to center ourselves on God once again, may we walk into, into discipleship with confidence that our baptismal life will indeed be here, that in the midst of suffering and servants and service, God will indeed be near. That the promises of our baptism, that we are beloved and that we are chosen, might follow us in. God be with you at Lent. God be with you in discipleship. Amen.